0: welcome back everybody to the philip deal podcast i've got my grande chai vanilla soy latte enema i think i'm gonna have a major bowel movement (laughs) i'm about to have my morning shit i can't wait for it i'm I'm just i'm waiting for it to, to come along yes waiting for it to come along you know, I love podcasting. It's so much fun podcasting on Anchor and then having all of my shit delivered to so many different uh, outlets. I really, if, you've, if this is the first podcast you've ever clicked on for me, I need you to listen to, for a second. I just need to give you a brief explanation about who I am, why I am, and what I do. Well, my name is Philip Ryan Deal. And... Uh, A lot of people in this world know me as a professional dancer. I was a professional dancer my entire life. I quit when I was 36 years old. But I've been an internationally renowned dancer and choreographer for a long time. Another thing I uh, am is an adult entertainer. I have also been known as um, a porn star or an adult entertainer in the amateur porn industry. Started doing that when I was about 28 years old. Decided that I wanted to put my big fucking cock in everybody's face and start jacking off for the world. So I got into the adult entertainment industry uh, in my late 20s, and I continue to do that. And I'm a yoga instructor, and I do. I work with men. Working with men is my favorite thing to do. Um, I teach uh, the tantra yoga and that's a that 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 is that's a word that we're going to unpack today tantra tantra yoga tantra massage tantric yoga hot tantric yoga nude yoga and all of the different yogas that people use when they're talking about sex and sexuality we're going to talk about yoga today. Today is the day that I want to tell you about how I got into practicing yoga. If you go back, listen to my last podcast. I was born and raised a Jehovah's Witness. Um, you can go back and listen to my entire experience being raised in that cult and also getting kicked out of that cult. And we're going to pick up where I left off from the last podcast. And we're going to we're going to go more in depth about my studies into Hinduism. And taking my first yoga classes, getting certified as a yoga instructor, working in this dumb-ass motherfucking American yoga industry. We're going to talk about the Yoga Alliance, who they are and why they're a bunch of shit. And then where I'm at today in my yoga practice and my recommendations for people who want to take up a real yoga practice and really study yoga. We got, a lot of, we got a lot to talk about today, you know? Um, a lot of the opinions that I have are not popular. I just want to go ahead and put, there, put out right now that you can always visit me at philipdeal.com. And when you go to philipdeal.com, you will see that I do a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> I have my own little apothecary business where I sell herbs and I make products. Um, you can visit my YouTube channel, You can visit my Pornhub channel. You can visit um, my Lazy Monkey Yoga website because I do train people to become yoga instructors in the particular style of yoga that I created. It's my personal style of yoga that I teach, that I like to teach people. So let's just say I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. I've spent my entire life uh, learning and studying about philosophy and comparative religion, and it's what I love talking about. So we're going to get underway here in about a moment, but uh, 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 la, 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 la. what can I say? What can I say to um, for the rest of my introduction? You know, I just want to remind everybody, if you don't listen to this episode all the way to the end, I just want to remind you guys. I'm going to tell you what I do when I wake up every single morning. When I wake up every single morning and I open my eyes and I sit up in bed, the first thing I remind myself when I wake up is that however all of this stuff works, the universe, however all of this stuff works, spirituality, religion, God, angels, demons, devas, orishas, whatever it is that you want to call the spiritual world, ancestors, all of these things, how the world functions, okay? I remind myself that I don't know jack shit about any of it, and I don't know how it works. But I also don't need to, okay? Let me give you a nice little analogy about the spiritual world and being a spiritual person and your iPhone. You know, I have the ability to pick up this iPhone, text message someone, call someone, make a podcast. I can go to Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, um, I can call somebody on WhatsApp and see them face to face and chat with them. And I don't know how this motherfucking phone is built. I don't know what, the, I don't know what the materials are. I don't know what the, I guess I could find out if I watched a YouTube video. I don't know what the, the screen and the glass is made out of. You know, I, I don't understand the components. I don't understand how this brilliant technology I'm holding in my hand works but I don't have to know how this iPhone was built and created to learn how to use it and use it well. And that's the point. This is the point. This is something that you have to understand and remember about spirituality and any kind of spirituality and your life. You don't have to know how it was made in order to be successful at playing it, using it, okay? let's just say life is a game let's just say all of this is a game well you don't have to understand how the game is written in order to be successful at winning the game that's what i'm saying there are people that create games and there are people that play games people who are web designers and webmasters and these gamers game designers they come up with all these extravagant elaborate games for people to play and even though you don't understand how the game is programmed, you still can learn how to play it, and the gamers will still be the, the gamers that play the games will still beat the game. Based on their in, intuition, based on their skills, based on practice, and based on trying over and over and over again and over and over and over again to beat the game. Eventually they will. And then what, what happens? is that those, those game designers have to go back and they have to create a new game. <laughs> so the people that design this place are always coming up with a new game. The people that are playing the game are always playing it. And that's how I like to look at life. I look at the world and life as a game. You know, don't take it too seriously, folks. Just don't take it too seriously. Because there are successful ways at playing the game of life and unsuccessful ways. There are are things you can do in your life that are going to increase the odds and the chances that you'll win the game of life. And there are ways that you can really, really, really fuck it up and like completely ruin your chances at winning the game of life. Okay? So making healthy choices for yourself, eating well, sleeping well, exercising making the proper job choices that are going to bring you wealth, that are going to uh, bring you comfort, picking the right partner, uh, not, not tolerating toxic and abusive relationships, having good relations with your children, creating offspring, having spirituality that helps you grow, your spirit grow as an individual. These are all things that help you get better at winning the game of life opposed to everything else, okay? Which is... Uh, uh, being toxic with your partners, which is negative self talk, which is having a pessimistic attitude, um, which is becoming an alcoholic, a drug addict, uh, you know, ending up on this path of violence or being radicalized in some kind of religion or some other kind of political ideology that's going to lead you to have this really miserable life. So there are things that you, it depends on what kind of game you want to play. It depends on the game that you want to play. Because whatever game you want to play, the universe will be right there ready to write that script for you. So it depends on the game you want to play, folks. Are you playing to win or are you playing to lose? I recommend that in the game of life, you make choices in life that are going to increase your odds of winning and decrease your odds losing we're gonna talk about all of that stuff today and we're gonna talk about yoga (laughs) and if something I say makes you mad you can be mad about it you can go die mad about it because this is my opinion and my opinion in the grand scheme of things really doesn't matter and guess what your opinion doesn't matter either So that being said, everybody, uh, grab a hold of your ass cheeks, bend over, spread them wide, (laughs) grab your, grab your latte, chai, enema, and after my morning shit, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about everything I've experienced in yoga and dealing with stupid ass Americans that practice yoga. So let's talk about yoga let's talk about everything yoga you know yoga is everywhere you walk into barnes and noble as soon as you walk in the front door there's the bargain book section sitting there you know and they've they've got they've got those those discounted bargain books talking about chakras talking about your aura talking about yoga and tai chi and all of these different disciplines, these ancient disciplines that people have practiced and refined and perfected and studied for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, all neatly packaged into a cute little book with really great illustrations, with rainbows surrounding people's bodies. There's a feel of the exotic. Wow, that's exotic, you know? It's something that's not Jewish, Christian, or Muslim. (laughs) Ha ha! And then you see all of these DVDs. You see all of these famous yogis. Oh, they're superstars. There are superstar yogis out there. You know, there are yogis out there that are treated like Lady Gaga, like Beyonce. You know, these famous yogis out there that come up with the, Really really um, uh, I guess you could say it's it's the teachings the teachings that they have are very exotic and they 're very appealing, and they just kind of like soothe the egos for people you know one of the reasons why people practice yoga is because they're trying to find a spiritual awakening, and what they find themselves in is a yoga industry. they find themselves in a yoga industry and they find themselves in a completely commercialized environment where like everything else in America everybody we are it's a completely commercial situation so I really want to break this down and I want to talk about stupid Amer- stupid Americans practicing yoga and why a lot of people start practicing yoga looking for a spiritual awakening and fail at their spiritual awakening And this seems to be a problem in the Western world, and specifically it's a problem with people who are in America seeking spirituality. I want to tell you how I arrived on my spiritual path with yoga and Hinduism and indeed Taoism and Buddhism and other Eastern traditions and what I learned by interacting with people in the yoga industry. And I would dare say that this podcast that I'm making is specifically for people who have been practicing yoga for a while and know a little bit or know enough about yoga to be dangerous. This podcast is for people who know enough about yoga to be dangerous or be offended by what I'm about to say. Um. And also, people who are looking for answers when it comes to spirituality and true spirituality, because it's very difficult to sh- sift through all of these different highly commercialized yoga practices, you know, with these really beautiful men with long, sinewy muscles that can stand on one finger upside down with the man buns. And these sinewy women that look like Barbies that can turn themselves into pretzels, um, and then all of this, these images that you get about how, how wonderful yoga is. Let me tell you something about yoga in India and other places, other, tr- other places other than America. You know, in, in, in India and other places, stepping on the path of yoga is not necessarily considered a positive thing. Stepping on the spiritual path is not necessarily considered a positive thing in life because people who actually practice yoga know once you open yourself up and decide, well, I'm going to go on this spiritual path, okay, I'm going to go on this journey to find out who I really am, well, all kinds of bullshit is going to start happening to you. You know that all of your samskaras, you know that all of your traumas, you know that all of your past lives, you know that all of your karma, you know that all of those parts of your ego that are unreal or fake or illusory are going to start breaking down at your core. Things are going to start, you're going to have meltdowns. You're going to have spiritual awakenings and a spiritual awakening for the most part is usually not pretty. (laughs) I think there's a lot of Americans out there that think I'm going to start practicing yoga and I'm going to start doing a meditation practice every day and I'm going to go to the Y and I'm going to do a yoga yoga class every day and I'm going to read the Bhagavad Gita and I'm going to read the yoga sutras. I'm going to become a yoga instructor and there are so many Americans out there. There's so many Americans out there that are certified yoga instructors. There's a lot of certified yoga instructors in America that don't e- that, that are not practicing yoga and actually are, don't even have a yoga practice and aren't teaching yoga and aren't going to a yoga studio. They're people who actually signed up to learn how to study to teach yoga either for their own personal, I guess you could say evolution or for their own personal satisfaction and gratification or because they wanted to be a yoga instructor and then at some point in time they're like, you know what, this is bullshit, I'm not doing this anymore, okay? Because you can't go to a weekend workshop and learn how to practice sun salutations and be handed the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutras and read that and then decide, well, you know what? Now I'm a yogi. (laughs) Now I'm a yogi i have arrived i am at the precipice of my spiritual awakening i know that if i practice this yoga every day and if i read this this, these these books then i'm going to become enlightened and that's pretty much how people go about practicing yoga in this country and the biggest reason this is a problem is because and i'm going to put it straight out there y'all i'm going to put it out there i know this is going to make some of you angry you're going to be you're going to be mad. You're going to get mad at me for saying this and you can be mad about it, okay? Americans are so arrogant and so ignorant that they feel that they can appropriate any culture that they want to make it their own and then change it to serve their purposes. Now, what you have to understand about yoga there's a lot of people in yoga that understand this, but for those of you who don't, yoga comes from India and was born out of what we call Hinduism, which is one of the most practiced religions in the world besides Christianity and Islam. Then there's uh, Hinduism. Okay, uh, Billions of people practice this stuff you can't separate ethnicity and culture from a religion you just can't do it and that is a big problem for americans okay because to actually study and understand and learn yoga you need to understand history you need to understand anthropology You need to have an understanding of Proto-Indo-European and Indo-European languages. You have to understand what Sanskrit is. You have to study Sanskrit, okay? There's a lot of things that you need to do to educate yourself about other cultures and ethnicities when you want to practice someone else's religion. And that is the part that is completely divorced by people that practice yoga in america they said well i'm going to read the Bhagavad gita and i'm going to read the yoga sutras and i'm going to do my yoga practice and that's enough for me i don't have to learn anything about the colonization process of india (laughs) i don't have to learn about the political structure i don't even have to give a fuck about anybody who's living in india okay because i guarantee you if you're a yogi i would i would admonish you to fly to india to actually be around associate with and talk to the people who practice hinduism as a religion and yoga as a religion and you will find that the way people actually practice yoga and hinduism is very very different than the beautiful little cookie cutter uh, packaged commercialized dvds books motivational speakers and white americans that are telling you what yoga is. There I said it. You can be mad about it. You can fucking die mad about it because your opinion about this shit doesn't matter. What I'm saying is is that whenever somebody goes to learn and study a religion, you cannot separate the religion from the culture from which the religion comes from. I made that mistake, and I'll tell you why. I became a certified yoga instructor I did everything that you did. Uh, we're going to go back. We need to go back, and I need to actually tell you how I became a yoga instructor and how I reached the conclusion that I reached about what I just told you. Okay? So if, 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 if you've got the guts, if you've got the balls, and if you, if you like being challenged a little bit, then I recommend you sit around for the next hour and listen to me talk. And then maybe after I talk about this stuff, I might change your mind about how you need to approach yoga in order to feel satisfied and rewarded by your practice. So let me tell you how I got into the yoga industry. Well, like a lot of you guys know, I was a professional dancer. Professional dancer, uh, my 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 almost my entire life, thirty six years. I didn't quit dancing until I was thirty six years old. Okay, but when I was about twenty one. 22 after i had left the jehovah's witness organization that i was raised in i went to college i started studying western philosophy i started studying uh uh comparative religion the world's religions and the very first religion i started studying after leaving that christian cult that i was raised in was hinduism and for somebody who knew absolutely nothing about the world knew nothing about other people's cultures and religions starting to study Hinduism opened my eyes that oh my god there are billions of other people in the world that believe in this stuff and I never paid attention to them I never learned about any of this stuff and now I've arrived and I'm ready to study this stuff the first yoga class that I ever went to and I took I was so indoctrinated in the Christianity that I was raised in by my parents that at the end of the yoga class, when everybody lays on their back and falls asleep and farts and <laughs> snores, <laughs> farts and snores at the end of their yoga class laying on their back, I was laying on my, on my back in the yoga class, my first yoga class, with my teeth clenched, my jaw was tight, my fist, I had fist my my brow was furrowed, and it was impossible for me to relax because I was afraid that I was going to get possessed by demons. <laughs> That's exactly right, y'all. I thought that I was going to get possessed by demons because yoga was from Satan. It was from the devil. So I was raised um to believe that anything that was not Christian... And specifically, anything that was not Jehovah's Witnesses was bad, evil, wrong, you do it, you're going to die, you're going to get possessed of demons, you you belong to Satan's world, you're going to get destroyed when Jesus comes back. Like, that's the way I was raised. Somehow I was able to get out of that, and I was able to get over that fear of showing up my first yoga class and taking the yoga class. But I was still holding on to and clinging on to these old beliefs. And it was very difficult for me to let go of those old beliefs in order for me to have a new experience and this is very important <clears throat> very important point folks there are people who are born and raised catholic there are people who are born and raised christians and then at some point in time they decide this christianity bullshit is a sham and they wake up and they say this is a garbage garbage religion i'm not going to do it anymore I'm going to do something else. Well, I'm going to go become a Buddhist. Oh, I'm going to go practice yoga. Oh, I'm going to go practice witchcraft or something else. But they do not make internal changes. So they they leave Christianity with all the baggage that they have, all that internal garbage that they never fixed about themselves, They never they never really looked at themselves. And they go practice yoga and now they have taken all the garbage that they had inside in the Christian religion and they have superimposed that onto another religion. And and that is a big problem because you have to realize that in order to practice yoga, in order to learn these things first, you literally have to let go of everything you've learned you have to cut it loose and you have to examine yourself and you have to say okay well i suffered from some kind of trauma being raised a catholic or whatever i'm not going to do that anymore i'm going to do something new and i have to let go of my old views in order to practice something new but people will do that they will be fundamentalist they will have they'll be swimming in the sauce they drank the Kool-Aid they were fundamentalist christians And then they decide, well, I'm not going to be a fundamentalist Christian anymore. I'm going to practice yoga. And then guess what? Then the motherfucker goes and becomes a fundamentalist yoga instructor. And now they have jumped to the opposite extreme. And they have created the same problems for themselves, just in a different place. They're not in church anymore. They're in a yoga studio. And they're still dealing with the same internal bullshit because it's not being fixed. Now, Once someone actually starts practicing yoga, what they're going to find is (laughs) those issues that you have, those feelings that you have, all that unresolved trauma, all those unresolved nasty parts of your ego and your personality and all of that shit, it is going to come out when you start practicing this kind of internal alchemy. So for people to be like, oh, I'm going to go take yoga class and I want to have a spiritual awakening. Well, bitch, when that spiritual awakening comes around, it's not going to be unicorns, farting rainbows, and tiptoeing through the tulips, okay? Having your grande uh, chai, vanilla, soy, latte, enema, okay? Even if you become a vegan and even if you stop eating meat, at some point in time, The practice of yoga itself, okay, the actual practice and discipline of yoga itself is going to blow you up. And you will have a meltdown and then you'll have a spiritual awakening and then you're going to be like, oh my God, my life is absolutely destroyed and I've seen it happen. I've seen women who, who were like soccer moms, they were living their lives, they had a husband, their children, everything's just fine in their life. They start taking yoga at the YMCA. Oh, I want to become a yoga instructor. So they go to something like Yoga Fit, which is like a, a fitness based yoga. And you know, I don't have a problem with Yoga Fit because I did Yoga Fit training. Yoga fit is a fitness based training. It's based on physicality. It's, it, they, they, they teach you that. you know it's not really about the spirituality for them, it's about exercise. So you start so you, you get certified as a yoga instructor teaching this fitness- based exercise that's divorced of the culture and the, the ethnic group of people. It's divorced from understanding the history and the politics, and it's divorced from um, spirituality. And you start doing this stuff. and then after doing this stuff for a while, After you start opening up all of these energy centers in your body, after you start having these realizations, after you start having these dreams or these nightmares or you start having like... Your past lives start coming alive in your dreams and you feel like everything is falling apart. Then you're unsatisfied, you're upset, you're distressed, you're disgruntled. You're walking around kind of angry all the time with your asshole all clenched, you know? Suddenly the sex you're having with your partner or your husband ain't satisfying anymore. So I see people divorce their husbands. I see people walking away from their kids and I see them like getting dreads in their hair and start smoking weed. And become vegans and now all of a sudden they think that they are spiritual. Now if what I'm saying to you is hitting hitting you pretty hard and you're like, man, this guy's a real fucking asshole. He doesn't have nothing nice to say about anybody. That is not true. That is absolutely not true. What I am trying to do is I'm trying to speak to you to try to get you over this hump. I'm going to try to bring you past this hump. If you've been practicing yoga for a while, or you're practicing yoga and you're dissatisfied with the yoga practice that you have, okay? and you're looking for something else, something different, a different perspective, that is all I'm offering here is a different perspective. So I was going to school. I was studying Hinduism. I, 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 I took my first yoga class. I took several yoga classes. It was okay. It was all right. And then I decided that I was going to go take yoga as my PE requirement, my physical education requirement in college, I decided, well, I'm gonna take yoga because man, that's a real easy A, right? So I walked into this yoga class and the woman who was teaching the yoga class was one of my mentors. She became a mentor to me for about eight years. She became my mentor. Um, Her name was Karina Soma. She's the author of the book Shiatsu. She's a traditional uh, Chinese traditional medicine master, um, a very devout Christian woman, but someone who was very educated. And she actually knew me. She had seen me perform and dance with a dance company that I was with in Norfolk, Virginia. And she came up to me and said, I know who you are. You're Philip Deal. And I said, Well, yes, I am. And she was like, I've seen you dance. And I said, Oh, cool. That's awesome. So she said, well, enjoy the class. So I took the yoga class, and after the yoga class was over, she came up to me and said, you are going to become a yoga instructor. And I was like, uh, 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 really? And she was like, yes. There is a training that's happening next weekend at the YMCA. It's called Yoga Fit. Yoga Fit Training Systems. It's a level one training. I want you to sign up to it. If you can, I want you to go. So I said, okay, well, what is this? It's like 300 bucks, right? For like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, go study yoga, learn something about yoga. I went and took the workshop and then I went back the following week to Karina's class and she said, well, did you take the yoga fit training? And I said, well, yes, I did. And she said, great. You're gonna start teaching at the YMCA on Tuesday and Thursday mornings and you're gonna take over my advanced yoga classes from 10 to 11:30 on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I said, "What? I went from not practicing yoga at all, not understanding anything about the culture, not understanding anything about the, the ethnic group of people, not understanding real history, except from what I read in Houston Smith's The World 's Religions. I had taken a few yoga classes from a traditional yoga instructor. I took a college level I was taking a college level class. I took a training, and within six months, I went from someone who knew nothing about yoga to someone who was teaching intermediate advanced vinyasa flow yoga at the YMCA every Tuesday and Thursday morning, and I did that for the next six years. And that's how I became a yoga instructor. And it was absolutely the wrong way to do it. (laughs) There was nothing okay about the way I became a yoga instructor. I became a yoga instructor... And then it took me about 20 years to actually become what I would consider today a yogi, okay? So anybody else who has this experience is really missing out on a lot when it comes to stepping on the yoga path. Now, I just want to give you an example of like, let's say, the Yoga Alliance because I am not a fan of the Yoga Alliance at all so if if you don't know what yoga alliance i'm gonna uh, is, I'm gonna explain that to you. There's an organization it's based in washington d c It's been around for a very, very long time. At at one point in time in history, a bunch of people who practiced yoga came together and said, "Look, this whole yoga industry, and they call it a yoga industry nobody nobody lies or close their eyes to the fact that this is a money making industry, okay." The reason why you become a certified yoga instructor, the reason why you join the Yoga Alliance is so that you can teach yoga so you can make money. Whenever you bring money into spirituality, you ruin it. Let me say that again, folks. This is very important for your spirituality. Whenever money becomes part of a spiritual practice that could be paying for initiations in Reiki, that could be paying for initiations in African religions like Santeria or Ifa, um, going to the Catholic Church and 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 dedicating yourself to paying a certain amount of money to the church, and even becoming a yoga instructor in order to make money. You fuck everything up, you fuck it up, and so whenever money is included in spiritual paths, everything becomes real mucky. All right, but these Yoga Alliance people they decided that they were going to be the regulators. They were going to be the people that made the decisions about who was really teaching authentic yoga and who wasn't. And we're going to make standards. We're going to tell everybody, this is what the standard is for a yoga instructor. This is what the standard is for a yoga school. And if you become a yoga school with the Yoga Alliance, or, or you, um, are you receive their, I guess you could say, their designation, as a registered yoga school, either at a 200 or a 500 hour level, you are required to teach your yoga trainings in the fashion that Yoga Alliance prescribes. And if you don't follow the way they prescribe you teaching yoga, then they take away your your ability to make money. Because most people today who are interested in becoming yoga instructors will only go to yoga schools and only go to yoga programs that are Yoga Alliance approved. Well, who said? Who said? Who said these motherfuckers down at Yoga Alliance, who said that they're the authorities on who teaches real yoga and who doesn't teach real yoga? Try that shit in India, motherfucker. Go over to India and look at all the gurus, all the swamis, Look at all the sadhus, look at all the tantrics, and look at these people and go tell them whether or not they're practicing yoga correctly or not. I dare you to go over there and try to tell these people who have been practicing their religion for the past 10,000 years or at least the past 5,000 years continuously how they can and cannot teach yoga to their students. See what I'm saying? You feel me? You feel me over here? Are you kind of like getting a little bit of an understanding of where I'm coming from now? Are you kind of breaking away from that commercial idea of yoga? So anyway, these Yoga Alliance people decided these are the standards of yoga, and I got into a big fight. I got into a big falling out with Yoga Alliance because of the fact that Yoga Alliance feels like it can tell everybody what to do. So... One of the big problems now for me as someone who wants to teach yoga and certify yoga instructors, and this is not a grievance, this is just a fact, is that I can say I train people to become yoga instructors, but then somebody will say, well, are you a member of Yoga Alliance? And I was saying, no, I don't believe in Yoga Alliance. I don't believe that they have the right to tell me what I can and cannot teach in my trainings. I also don't think that little group of people have the ability to decide what is and what is not a yoga practice and how it should be taught but anyway that's just a perfect example and let me tell you yoga alliance makes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year you have to add it up you have to go through their website and see how many schools are registered schools with them and how much money every single school pays every single year to maintain their Yoga Alliance membership, and how many students pass through yoga programs and yoga schools every single year and apply and pay money to be members of Yoga Alliance and then pay every year to be members of Yoga Alliance. They made thousands and thousands of dollars off of me over the years that I was a member. Thousands and thousands of dollars, and they didn't even do anything except sit there and collect my money. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year based on other people, (laughs) based on schools teaching people yoga and being members of their organization. So my first recommendation is, if you're a yoga teacher or a yoga instructor or you own a school, I would definitely recommend reconsidering whether or not Yoga Alliance is worth your time, worth your money, or whether or not those motherfuckers have the right To tell you whether or not you're teaching yoga right or wrong now we all know that there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything but see i am very anti-regulation i don't believe in regulating things i don't believe illicit drugs illegal drugs need to be regulated okay if somebody wants to go and die with a needle hanging out of their arms because they overdosed on crack or heroin I think it's everybody's individual right to do whatever they want. I think everybody should be able to do whatever they want unless it harms another person. So that's just an example of, that's a very, very simple example about where I'm at when it comes to regulating things. And I don't believe that yoga is something that can be regulated that way. Okay? So moving forward, as a professional dancer, it was very, very easy for me to choreograph, yes, choreograph, a very pretty, nice vinyasa flow style yoga. I went through all of the postures and all of the books, and I looked at the transitions, and I, as as an artistic person, put together these most articulate, beautiful yoga flows For people to transition through and needless to say i was very 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 popular as a yoga instructor in hampton roads because my classes were good because they were based in exercise science they were based on breathing feeling listening to the body they were pasted a way that everyone could keep up you know even people who are not in shape people who are in shape there was a lot of modifications i played great music helped a lot of people on the yoga path I thought by teaching them this practice but we need to break down the practice itself we need to we need to go back now and we need to we need to have a conversation about yoga how it came to be and where the foundation or the root of yoga comes from so let's go ahead and do that now because now that you know how I got into teaching yoga and where yoga led me um because after teaching yoga for a very long time you know now we're going to say uh almost 20 years <laughs> i'm 42 years old i started teaching yoga when i was 21 so we're talking about we're 20 20 years in right i got i got 20 motherfucking years invested in all of this shit let me tell you where i'm at where i'm at today is i have my own yoga practice it's called lazy monkey yoga it is the yoga that i practice every single day on my yoga mat for me I teach lazy monkey yoga to other people who want to learn to practice like me that want to learn how to transition in and out of asanas or stretches like me and I give people advice about places that they need to study the philosophy because I am NOT a swami I am NOT a spiritual guide when it comes to yoga and Hinduism that's just not what I do. Nor do I stand on a soapbox and pretend that I'm somebody's spiritual guide in the front of a yoga class because I'm not. Because I'm not Hindu. Because I was not born and raised in the culture. Because I don't have a Swami. I never did an initiation. And even even to this day, and I'm planning planning to one day very soon, go to a Hindu temple and worship the gods and goddesses of Hinduism as they've been worshipped and petitioned and chanted to for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So let me ask you a question, Mr. or Mrs. Yogi or yoga instructor. When is the last time you went to a Hindu temple to pay your respects with a Swami, to get a blessing, to receive a mantra, and to put out offerings for Shiva, to put out those offerings for Ganesh? How how much do you actually know about the culture? That's the question. Because you can't divorce the yoga practice that you do from the actual people that practice it and have kept it alive and developed it for thousands and thousands of years. That is why you're fucked up. That is the divide. That is what's wrong with your yoga practice because your yoga practice has been based on a commercialized money-making industry that has been very well packaged with very beautiful white people that are very, very flexible or very, very strong, telling you how you need to eat and telling you how you need to bend over and spread your ass cheeks. See what I'm saying? So if you kind of like take this little, it's not that big of a leap, people. It's not a big reach. It's possible. You can do this. Believe me, it's possible. You can actually transition for someone who is, I would say, a spectator, or a tourist, we're gonna to call them spiritual tourists, tourist yoga, vacation yogis, ha <laughs> Va- ha, vacation yogis. You can take a step past that vacation yogi mindset, that uh, that American tourism mindset, and you could delve a little bit deeper, and you could actually learn more about the people. You could learn more about the history of India and their politics and colonization and how that society has evolved over thousands of years. And you can go to a Swami, you can go to a Hindu, you can go to a native person and ask them to teach you how to practice yoga. What is the proper way to perform a puja for the deities? instead of just lighting a stick of incense, getting on a yoga mat, and chanting Namah Shivaya," and believing that's going to bring you enlightenment. So that's a very, very big thing. You can do that, but you have to want to. You have to, be, you have to want to practice yoga so bad that you're going to go the extra mile to learn about the people that actually created yoga. And I guarantee you, If you do that, you might decide really, really quick (laughs) that actually yoga is not for you. That's not something you should have ever gotten involved with. I want to apologize to all the Hindu gods and goddesses. It was my bad. Sorry, I'm a stupid white American. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. I've been telling everybody about all this yoga stuff, and I don't know anything about it. So you might decide that you're one of those people, and you might decide that you want to go back to church, and that's where you belong. And then you want to go back to your culture. You want to go back and you want to petition your ancestors. You want to learn about pre-Christian religions when it came from Europe, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Scandinavia, Sweden, Spain, whatever. You could be Italian, American. <clears throat> but you can decide whether or not this yoga stuff is really for you. Now, all that being said, we need to talk about what is the foundation And the root of Hinduism. Where does Hinduism come from? Well, we need to take a step back and we need to talk about spirituality in general. And we need to talk about the three oldest spiritualities in the world. And this is not something new that I'm saying today. I've been teaching this stuff on TikTok. I've been telling people stuff like this on YouTube I've been telling people stuff like this for a very long time. So if you're hearing it for the first time, you might want to take a pen and paper and take notes. The three oldest spiritualities in the world are animism, shamanism, and ancestor worship. And any religion practiced today that does not have all three of those components are not old. And see, I'm not interested in new age religions like Christianity and Islam and and any other religion that came late in, in, in human history. I'm interested in religions of antiquity. I'm interested in learning religions that are old. And any old religion is always going to contain elements of animism, shamanism, and most importantly, ancestor veneration or ancestor worship. So let's break down exactly what animism is. People have made animism like a philosophy now. There are people who are intellectuals in the spiritual world that want to be really intellectual about animism. But very simply put, Animism is the belief or the understanding or the idea that all things in nature contain spirit. All things in nature contain a spirit. Okay? Every river, every lake, every well, every spring, every swamp, the forest, contains communities of spirits you know they used to be known as the little people or the fairies you know mount the the mountains contain the spirits every tree has a spirit that lives in it every crystal that you hold has a spirit in it and whenever you take an inanimate object or what is a seemingly inanimate object and you attach agency to it and you give that agency power you are practicing animism when you go out And you walk up to a tree in nature and you put your hand on that tree and you feel the connection between you and that tree. And you might talk to that tree. You might say, hi, how are you today? You're really beautiful. I really, really like the way you look. You're nice and shady. You are practicing animism because now you have attached personality to an object disney helped to really really solidify the concept of animism beauty and the beast whenever beauty goes into the beast castle and she meets all of the pots and the pans and the candlestick and the chairs and all of the all of the stuff that can talk and that can sing and that can dance guess what everybody that's animism I want to give you another example of animism, and I want to teach you right now how you can start practicing animism. How many of y'all out there have named your car? I I know a lot of you have. You know what what my car's name is? It's Alejandro. (laughs) Alejandro is the name of my car. And my last car before Alejandro was named Jack. So whenever I... Whenever I go outside and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to get into my car, you know, I'll slap Alejandro on the bumper and say, Man, you got a fine ass. And when I get into the car and I turn it on, I say, Come on, Alejandro, where are we going to go today? What are we going to do? And then when we're driving, I get good gas mileage. I, I pat him and I say, uh, uh, I pat him on the dashboard and I say, Alejandro, you are such a good car. You get me to where I need to go. And you get great gas mileage. I love you. And I'm putting positive energy and I'm talking to my car. And regardless of whether or not that car understands what I'm saying or not, which it probably doesn't, I still have a relationship that I've developed with my car that's special to me. And that is animism. And witchcraft is also based on animism. I go out into the forest, I talk to the trees. I talk to the plants i clip the herbs i take the herbs i say to the plant can i take these herbs from you so that i can practice magic with them i take those herbs i go home i light a candle i call on the spirits of water i call on the spirits of fire i call on the elementals excuse me i i I talk to the herbs i pray and mantra while i'm working with my herbs and i perform a working and by practicing this I receive magical results. It's all based in animism, friends. That's what animistic magic is. That's what animistic witchcraft is. And animism is a big foundation, okay, of of what spirituality is. Now moving on. And I guess you could say people even look at the Bible as something that's alive, right? They look at the Bible as the living word of God. The Bible is treated in such a special way that it can't be put on the ground or that it has to be kept in a special place or it has to be handled with kid gloves because people will look at a Bible differently than they'll look at any other book. You can put a Bible down and you can put down a goddamn dictionary beside that Bible and people will always treat that Bible with more respect. Not me because I'll wipe my ass with it. But most people will treat a Bible as if that thing is something that's alive because it holds God's teachings, right? So that's the point. The point is is you practice animism whether you know it or not because it's been practiced by human beings throughout all of human history. Let's move on to shamanism. So the next spiritual path that people have practiced for a very 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 long time has been shamanism now shaman the word shaman is an umbrella term traditionally the word shaman only relates to a very particular tribe in siberia that that relates to a particular group of people but that word shaman has become very very popular and shaman and shamanism is like an umbrella term that's used today to describe indigenous practices Uh, once again anything that's not jewish christian and muslim Uh, uh, shamanism is the ability to go into trance it's the ability to go into meditation a shaman is also a medium a trance medium someone who is able to communicate with the spiritual world someone who's able to receive messages from the spiritual world someone who has psychic dreams prophetic dreams they're prophets They're medicine men. They can see things that are not there, hear things that are not there, uh, smell things that are not there, and they can do soul retrieval. Okay, they go into the spiritual world to do spiritual work, sorcery, magic, whatever. And so shamanism is the foundation of all religious experiences. Now, there are some shamans that will use ayahuasca our DMT, our magic mushrooms, our other kinds of drugs to go into trance? Okay, that's a very particular kind of shaman. I know you've heard of people down in South America that practice ayahuasca, and we, I'm not even going to go down. The, I'm not even going to go down that road talking about all the Americans that pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go down and do that ceremony because they think they're going to get enlightened by it. Okay, some of them do. Some of them, it actually make, breaks them and they're never able to recover from it psychologically then there are people who are shamans that do all kinds of austerities do call all kinds of disciplines in order to train the mind and that's where we can find the first rishis that's where we find the first yogis the first rishis and the first yogis were spiritual men and women that went out into the forest away from the tribe away from the community outside of civilization and decided I want to know the truth I want to know the truth about existence I want to understand myself what am I how do I relate to everything else in the universe how do I relate to everything else on this planet how do I relate to all of the people who are around me and they went into deep periods of meditation they said I'm just gonna sit down and I'm gonna sit here until I figure it out and that is the root of yoga the root of yoga is in shamanism shamanism and shamanistic practices are the root of yoga and the root of all religions moses moses was a shaman what did he do he went out to the wilderness he had a vision of a burning bush you know god spoke to him he spoke to god face to face the bible says god said i speak to moses Face to face all the prophets in the Bible, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Amos, all of those people, all of those Jews, okay, all of those mystical Jews that 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 are part of that lineage, okay part part of that that prophetic Jewish uh, group of people. And Jesus is included in that, actually. Jesus, that's thats when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about that same kind of shamanism. Jesus was like a Jewish shaman because those spiritual experiences are unique to that ethnic group of people dealing with those deities and their culture, and that's a form of shamanism. So we can say shamanism is pretty universal, and it's based on ethnicity. It's based on tribes, which is why there are no white motherfucking shamans. Because in order to be a shaman, you have to be born and raised in an indigenous culture. Because in indigenous cultures, in tribes, there's always a medicine man or a medicine woman that looks out for the spiritual well-being of the tribe. And if there's a child that's born that has some kind of revelation or has shows has signs of being connected to the spiritual world, they will take that child to the Swami or to the medicine man or to the medicine woman and say, look, this kid is psychic. This kid is seeing all kinds of stuff we can't see. They're having prophetic dreams. They're making prophecy. You need to take care of this kid. And that child will be raised from very, very young age to be a shaman. And it's a lifelong path and it's something that they don't choose. A kid doesn't wake up and decide, hey, I'm going to be a shaman that's something that's designated on them and they grow up learning the traditional practices of their indigenous people and when that when the older medicine man dies or when that the older person dies the next person in the lineage takes over as being the tribal shaman this is how religion has been practiced since antiquity for as long as we can possibly look back there is a lineage that happens in spirituality, true spirituality that has passed down an initiation from one person to another. And shamanism is a perfect example of why white people cannot be shamans. Now, let me tell you why. You can't be mad. White people can't be mad when I say you can't be a shaman. You can't be fucking mad. Because we had shamans. We had shamans in Europe. There were European shamans. There were the Druids. There were the Celts, there were the Bards and the Ovates, and all there were the Norse pagans and the people that practiced cedar. There were the heathens, okay? And there were the oracles of ancient Greece. We had shamans, but Europeans decided to embrace Christianity over their indigenous practices. And when Roman Catholicism decided to come in and steamroll and colonize the entire world and convert everybody to this death cult... Okay? Our European ancestors, if you're European, decided, well, we're gonna go with this Christian shit and we're just gonna go ahead and forget about everything else. So white people can't be mad that they can't be shamans because you forsook, you forsook your forefathers. You 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 threw the traditions of the forefathers away and the indigenous practices of our indigenous people of Europe for this foreign religion. The Semitic shit that came around, and you decided to join this. You decided that you were going to be a Christian. So today, you know, 2,000 years later, you can't be mad when I come around and say, Look, you white motherfucker, you can't be a shaman. You can't be mad about it. And don't be mad at me. Be mad at the ancestors that gave up our traditions. Go talk to them about it. Now I'm 50 minutes in and I got a lot more to say in this podcast, but right now I'm going to go get some coffee. I'm going to take my shit. And then when I come back, we're going to go ahead and talk about the third oldest spiritual tradition in the world and the one that you should be the most concerned about, which is ancestor worship and ancestor veneration. So bend over, spread your cheeks, get ready everybody because we're coming back in a few minutes and it's going to get really, really good. Alright everybody, we're back. We're back and we're going to talk about ancestor worship. We're going to talk about ancestor veneration And this is very, very important. Now, I'm not going to go deep into ancestor work today because that is an entire podcast in of itself. I would love to tell you about how I came to my ancestral path and ancestral religions and spirituality that I practice. Very interested in telling you about that because it's a very fascinating story. And tell you and teach you about how you can step on the path of learning about and honoring your ancestors your ancestral spirits how you can go and, and 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 share your grievances with your ancestral spirits and all of that stuff that needs to be worked out in your family okay We're not going to talk about that today. I specialize in that. Matter of fact, if you are interested in learning ancestor worship and veneration and you want to start practicing ancestor veneration, you can go to my website, you can go to my Booksy, and you can schedule a spiritual consultation because I specialize in teaching people how to reach out and honor their ancestors. But let's go ahead and get back to this. Religions, like I said, modern religions... All modern religions, they all go back to the same source. They all go back. At one point in time, spirituality around the world was generally practiced a particular way. And over time, it evolved, and over time, it changed. But like I said before, religions and spiritual paths that are old are always going to contain three elements. They're going to be animistic. They're going to be shamanic. And they're going to be, uh, they're going to have a, a kind, a form of ancestor veneration. You know, one thing I didn't say earlier about shamanism is that even when somebody goes to church and they they grab the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit grabs hold of a person and they start quaking and shaking and shaking and baking all around, and the eyes roll back in the head, and they start, you know, start speaking in tongues. That's a form of shamanism. That is, it's it's a it's a that's a form of shamanism. Even if Christians don't want to embrace or understand that what they're doing is shamanic, that is a kind of shamanism. This whole thing that people have with speaking in tongues. Now, spirits also mount people in the traditions of voodoo and spiritism, um, like in Santeria and in the spiritism that comes off the island of Puerto Rico and Cuba, which is what I practice. The only difference between the spirits that come down on us and the spirits that come down on Christians that are speaking in tongues and are completely inintelligible is that our spirits, when they possess and take a hold of us, have the ability to speak clearly, use language, talk to the congregation uh, uh interact with the congregation, bring magic, perform magic, bring prophecy, give prophecy interact with individual people and then when they leave they leave it's just interesting to me how in shamanistic traditions that come from the caribbean um that the spirits that come down can actually function whereas christians over here who are doing their little um speaking in tongues things are pulling spirits that are very very what i would say we would call them low level lower level entities or lower level spirits okay So getting back to uh, this whole thing about ancestor worship, most of the gods and goddesses and the stories that we know about gods and goddesses are considered to be ancestors. In Norse paganism, we're going to talk about Odin, the all-father of Norse paganism, was considered not only to be a god, but is also an ancestral spirit. There were kings that claimed that they had the DNA or they were in the bloodline of Woden. And Odin, they claimed that they were, in the, they were descendants of this god. Same thing in Egypt. Same thing all over the world. That the people who were the kings and the priests, but specifically the rulers and specifically the kings, they were either divinely appointed by the gods themselves to rule, or... They were the direct descendants of gods, which gave them the right to rule. So now we're getting to a whole new level of fuckery over here, right? Go back and listen to my episode, Donald Trump is Jesus Christ. I know the sound of that episode sounds really fucked up and crazy. You got to go listen to it. You got to give it a chance so that you can hear my entire perspective on Christianity and the rise of Christianity and who this person they call Jesus really is. So you can go listen to that. But for right now, let's go ahead and say in, in Hinduism, you know, Krishna, who is an avatar of Vishnu, um, was, is considered that the, Krishna walked the earth. And even in Orisha tradition, even in Ifa, there's this idea or the concept that the divinities, that the Orisha, that the spirits, okay, are embodied, walk the earth, walk the planet. Like Shango, like Oshun, okay? So, this concept that deity, our avatars, our gods, can become embodied and walk the earth with other people to bring spiritual messages and spiritual teachings, that's not something that's new. Jesus being God's son is not new, that's not special. That existed in India since time immemorial. So the concept in a lot of ancient religions and traditional religions is that the gods and the goddesses actually have the ability to manifest themselves as avatars, as avatars on earth to teach people the sacred teachings. And when they die, they leave the body, they go back to their heavenly abode, they go back to whatever loka they came from, and they left the teachings. So even in Hinduism, there's this idea that Vishnu, who is uh, the preserver um, of the universe, has manifested and been incarnated uh, many times here. And there's another incarnation of Vishnu that will come again. So basically the concept of Vishnu and all of his avatars is that when the world gets to a place that it is so horrible, and it is falling apart, and it's actually on the uh the brink of absolute destruction. Vishnu incarnates, and when Vishnu comes as the preserver he he fixes everything you see so this is this is a very old concept, and it exists in 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 pretty much all of the old religions so even the celts, even the Celts believed that the Fey are the the mythical are the ancient gods and goddesses, are the fairies that uh, that came to England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and all that area. That these mythical beings, they are a type of ancestor, and I'm here to say maybe they were, maybe they are, maybe there are people walking around today that have fairy blood in them, have fairy DNA. Is it really that big of a reach? To, to, to recognize that we have ancestors and ancestral spirits that are highly, highly elevated, that were considered gods, goddesses, or even elevated to the statuses of gods and goddesses. It depends on your culture, it depends on what you believe in. See, Catholics believe in this, Orthodox people believe in this. When you look at Jesus, God brought Jesus, God inseminated. <laughs> Mary, that that's weird. I don't even want to. That's just thinking about it is really bizarre. It's nothing about Christianity makes sense to me. But God decided to inseminate a human woman, that he found attractive. This guy named Jesus got born. He was a. He's not only the son of God, but he is also a descendant of David and has the right to rule over Jerusalem, over Israel, because he's a descendant of David. So not only is he divinely appointed by God, because he is God's son, but he's also in the bloodline that comes from King David. So he has a political right to rule. He has a divinely appointed right, and he also has um, the right as a kingdom um, in his flesh. Do you see what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm not trying to be blasphemous. I'm trying to bring everybody down to reality to try to uh, examine these things and these teachings and these spiritual teachings and beliefs and examine them for what they are and look at them with some objectivity to take a step back out of your belief system and say, you know what, maybe I need to re-examine all of this stuff I believe to be true. Maybe I need to take a step back and listen to this guy for a minute and think about this as an intellectual exercise, a little mental masturbation over here to try to determine whether or not the way I think and feel about this world is actually true or whether it's just it's I believe it's true because someone told me it's true. Cuz if you believe in a religion just because somebody told you it was true and you believe it, I'm sorry but I I, I really can't take you seriously at all. You also can't take a book that was written by people who vomited, who shit, who pissed, who jacked off, who had children, who who murdered people, who committed genocide and rape and everything else and all of the other uh, atrocities that are in the Bible, all the stuff we love, right? Rape, violence, murder, genocide, all of the things we love in America in stories you know, that you can't sit that Bible in front of me and, and expect me to believe that, that God did that. You just can't. I, I completely reject that idea that God's word, uh, what, what is the absolute truth, is embodied in this little book that a group of men in 300 decided was the true teachings of God and now everybody has to believe in it. And if you don't believe in it, well, we're going to fucking kill you and burn you at the stake because you don't believe in that. Okay? See, I, I can't embrace that because spirituality to me means that I'm going to sit down on my yoga mat and I'm going to start thinking and I'm going to start asking myself the question, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What is, what is the true implications of me being here? What am I here to prove? What is my purpose? What is my destiny? Is everything just some kind of random thing and nothing has any meaning and that this earth is just being it's it's spinning and twirling and and being hurled through space and I'm just I'm just grabbed a hold of my ass and I've spread my cheeks and I'm just here for it and I'm just I'm just here to watch all of this shit happen. Or is there something special, like am I supposed to be doing something? Well what is that special thing I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be a Christian? Am I supposed to be a Buddhist? Am I supposed to be a Muslim? Am I supposed to be Hindu? You have to be have critical thinking skills. You know, I'm a huge fan of Neil deGrasse, DeGrasse Tyson. I love that man. He is awesome. Go follow him on YouTube. He always has the ability to take astrophysics and science and make it very, very simple for people like me who don't know jack shit about science and never was not good at it in school to really understand some really deep concepts. But when you take a step back, it's so important to use the scientific method when analyzing your life and when analyzing your spiritual beliefs. Now, that's one amazing thing about Hinduism. One amazing thing about Hinduism is that people who practice, the rishis that practice this stuff and the swamis that practice this stuff and the the, the Vedantists that practice these techniques in meditation and Buddhist will tell you, don't believe me. Don't believe anything I have to say. What I say doesn't matter. My opinion about this doesn't matter. How I feel about this stuff doesn't matter what matters is that you try to find out for yourself and it's my belief that yoga and true spirituality is a quest it's an ever quest it's a journey and a spiritual revelation or a spiritual awakening isn't just one awakening it's not just one thing that happens and then you're done it's not like getting saved it's not like once saved always saved right it's it's a spiritual uh, progression in time and space and the evolution of the spirit and consciousness that is going to go through one ordeal after another. It's going to overcome one ordeal after another and the power of the human spirit will prevail eventually over many, many lifetimes and you will find what it is you're looking for. But like you know, Bono saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And so w- what I'm saying is, is that people will have what we call a false epiphany or a false spiritual awakening or they will have some some they will have some level of spiritual awakening but then instead of saying okay I had a spiritual awakening I experienced these spiritual things I need to test whether or not what I experienced is true. I'm going to continue on the spiritual path. I'm going to continue towards trying to find truth. They stop there and say, Wow, I had my spiritual experience. I've arrived. And I believe in this, and this is what's true, and that's the only thing that's true. And people get stuck in this black and white thinking. They get trapped. They get stuck in black and white thinking that this is right, and this is wrong, and this is what's true, And this is what's not true. And so their spiritual progress stops instead of recognizing that it never, ever, ever stops. It never, never, never ends. And when you get to a certain point in meditation and you feel this rush come over you when you realize that this shit is never going to stop and this journey is never going to end, not only is it exhilarating, And you get like a boner. Your dick gets hard as a brick when you realize how terrifying. (laughs) You realize how terrifying this concept is that things continue. On and on and on and on, just like Erica Badu sang. You see what I'm saying? So then you shit yourself. You're right. Like, oh my God, what have I done? I arrived at this place now. Now I realize uh, what a moron I've been. I, I I don't know why I was ever so arrogant. I don't know why I was ever so ignorant to believe the things I believed. I was believing in something because someone told me so. And that is when you're able to step past what you believe because someone told you so and start learning the truth based on your own experience, your own understanding. Because in reality, the only thing that you can really understand or the only thing that you can know is what you can actually experience what you can perceive what i see hear smell taste feel what i can perceive in my gut my dreams what i understand about my consciousness my behavioral my mental health how my physical body works how my spirit how my body works in harmony with one another or how for the most part it's not working in harmony with one another when you go down that path now you're like okay damn now i'm ready to start practicing yoga because it really is all about you at the end of the day on the spiritual path. Now that's not being selfish in any kind of way. That's not like Satanism or these people who are of the church of Satan that it's all about you and you're the be-all, end-all and, and all of that and, and doing for you. is it. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is on the spiritual path, And in the progression of spiritual enlightenment that the soul, the spirit goes through, you realize at a certain point in time that you just have to to do this for you. You can't do this for other people. And if you're just doing it for money, oh man, you're really doing it the wrong way and you're really going to fuck yourself up over time and when you realize this is something i have to do to me do for me and i need to sit down and the, and all of the very simple steps that i should have taken at the very beginning of my practice fuck chakras uh 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 fuck all the stuff about auras Um, and, and doing these highly, highly, highly complicated meditations. I'm going to practice all of these meditations and do all these psychic gymnastics, jumping through rings of fire to try to get to enlightenment, to do all this stuff. And I'm going to travel all around the world and I'm going to follow the Dalai Lama around and I'm going to get initiations into all of this stuff. Why don't you just sit down and shut the fuck up and get on your yoga mat and just sit there? Sit down, shut up, Sit on your yoga mat, close your eyes, and just sit. And sit there, and sit there, and sit there. And wait. Wait to find out what happens. Wait to find out what kind of flashes of insight come to you about what your true nature is. So I guess you guys know, if you're a spiritual person, I'm kind of like throwing a little bit of Alan Watts in your direction because <laughs> I have to say that Alan Watts, God bless him, he's done a lot for the world when it comes to teaching and expanding the teachings and being able to uh, interpret for the Western mind a lot of things that we can't understand about Eastern spirituality. So Alan Watts and 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 Zen in, in, in general, I can't say that I'm a Buddhist, although I am definitely a Buddhist when I'm in trouble. You know how there's those people who like their... they're like they go about their life and they're fucking around and they're creating all kinds of fuckery and then all their fuck shit catches up with them and everything starts to go to hell and now all of a sudden they're like oh my god you know my life is in shambles I need to go back to church so they go back to church and they go to confession and you know they 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 go they pay their alms and then they go to church for a couple of weeks and they act all spiritual and they read the Bible and then all of a sudden everything's right with the world you know okay I'm fixed Jesus fixed me then they go back it back out into the world and start their fuck shit again and start the cycle all over again. That's me. I just do that with Buddhism. Ah, whenever my life turns to fuck shit and everything is going really 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 bad, really 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 bad, I'll always go to Buddha. <laughs> I'll always go over to the Buddha's teachings and I'll be like, okay wait a minute, what did, they, what did he say about suffering now? What did, he, what did he say about suffering? What did he say about shunyata? What did he say about emptiness? And <laughs> I'll sit there and I'll know deep down inside, well, damn, Buddha was right. He's always right. But that, that's, that's the kind of Buddhist I am. I'm like only a Buddhist when I'm in need. I'm like a Buddhist when I'm in trouble and everything in my life is melting down. And then when my life gets back together, then I, I go back to being a witch. But that's just me. That's my stupidity. That is, that is my beautiful disaster that I'm bringing to you just to show you that we're all hypocrites just to show you that we're all hypocrites when it comes to understanding spirituality. But ancestor work and ancestor veneration is important, and there is a very strong component of ancestor worship and veneration that is in Hinduism. Because Hinduism is a traditional religion, it's a traditional culture, and Hinduism just isn't one thing. It's many, many different things. There are many, many different groups, many different traditions, different sects of philosophy, different gods and goddesses that people are devoted to. There's a people that worship Shiva. There's the people that worship Vishnu. There are people that practice Tantra and the Tantras, which we're going to get into in a couple of minutes because I said that at the beginning of this podcast, didn't I? I said at the very beginning of this podcast that we we're going to talk about Tantric sex. <laughs> and tantra and tantra massage and lingam massage and happy endings oh everybody wants a happy ending right don't doesn't everybody want a doesn't everybody want a happy ending at the very end of the day i know that i want my happy ending at the end of the day but we're going to get there in a minute okay we're going to go down that road but um getting back to ancestor worship and ancestor veneration that's a very strong component of all I guess you could say, traditional religions and traditional practices. And if a religion does not have some component of ancestor worship in it, it's not old. Now, how did they fix this problem in Christianity? Well, they created the saints, right? So um, what's interesting in Buddhism is we have the bodhisattvas. In, in every single religion, there's going to be people who lived, died, and are elevated in some spiritual realm that are going to be guides, right, for other people, like it's the bodhisattvas, it's the bodhisattvas that are our are, are, are guides. They come back in order to um, help alleviate suffering in the world. They attain enlightenment, and then from, from the realm of the Buddhas, they come back as bodhisattvas helping the world. You see, you have the saints. People petition the saints in the Catholic Church. You know, in Taoism, they're called the immortals. There's the Immortals. And then in other traditions, of course, like Orisha tradition, there are the Orishas. So what we have here is we have institutionalized and religious ancestor worship and ancestor veneration, and, and, and especially in West Africa. West Africa and West African religion holds the torch on ancestor veneration and ancestor worship. It really does. It holds a torch for it. And because I'm Puerto Rican on my mom's side of the family, and when I came to a place in my life where I was ready to step out and explore my ancestors and the ancestry that I have, and I ended up on the island of Puerto Rico studying and learning about the spirituality that was practiced by my ancestors that were both the Tainos, the first Native Americans to be colonized in the New World, and the spirituality of the Africans that were brought over here during the transatlantic slave trade, I started learning shit about myself, about history, about my ancestors, and about spirituality I never experienced before. So, once again, as a white person talking to another white person if you're white out there and you're listening to this and you're some kind of yoga girl, you're some kind of yoga barbie and you're asking yourself, you know, why is my pussy all dry? Why am I not getting the why am I not getting the spiritual bang that I was promised out of this religion or what I'm studying? It's because there's a component that is missing in your life. And that component that is missing is ancestor work and ancestor veneration and learning and honoring your ancestors like i said we're not going to talk about that today it's a it's another podcast and what we want to do now is we want to shift focus and talk about tantra and tantric yoga because there's a lot of misunderstanding about it so once i once again like i said before the biggest problem with americans is that Americans really feel like they can appropriate anything they want. And so Tantra and Tantric yogas are are, are actually a very specific practice. And a lot of them have absolutely nothing to do with sex and nothing to do with controlling your orgasms and your ejaculations has absolutely nothing to do with any kind of orgasmic stuff at all. For one thing, most people in this country are practicing hatha yoga, right? Hatha yoga is what you see in the books and the DVDs when you go to Barnes and Noble or you see people in yoga studios, in a hot yoga studio pouring sweat off their body because they're sweating to death. <laughs> they're sweating to death we have a country that is severely malnourished and also we eat we eat everything but we're malnourished we're not, we we eat nothing but shit and so we're walking around uh always hungry um, and unhealthy because the food that we eat doesn't have any nutrients in it. We don't drink enough water. We're not hydrated, but we still think it's a good idea to walk into a 120 degree room and sweat our balls off, sweat our tits off in these yoga in these yoga classes, pouring sweat and taking dehydrated people and making them more dehydrated. So that was a really bad idea. Okay, <laughs> hot yoga. Bad idea I'm not going to talk about how bad of an idea hot yoga is that's a gimmick, so if you've been practicing hot yoga, practice something else. Matter of fact, my teacher, Master Adam Nugent, who was um uh, my yoga master that I studied under um who teaches Raja yoga and a Vietnamese style of yoga, it was always good to practice yoga in a cold room it's just this is just a recommendation if you if you want to practice yoga and you want to get a lot of benefit out of it. Start warming up in a cold room wearing a lot of layers of clothing, okay? Breathe through the nose, keep the mouth sealed so that you do not release the extra body heat out of your body through your mouth, but the inhalation in through the nose, out through the nose regulates the breath as you're slowly warming the body. And then when your body starts to warm and you create internal heat, okay, because real yoga is about creating internal heat, it's not from the outside in, From the inside out When your body starts to perspire And it creates that nice little dew of sweat Across your forehead That's when it's time to start taking the clothes off Taking off the layers And really getting deep into your practice But working out in a cold room And even people that are Olympic swimmers Train in freezing cold water Because it boosts the metabolism Working out in the cold is very very good For your metabolism And uh, when you walk into a hot room To practice yoga Let's say you've never practiced yoga before, okay? You're some dude in your 40s. You walk into the yoga room. It's 120 degrees in there. Your balls, <laughs> your balls drop down to your knees, and suddenly you can bend over, put your hands on the floor, and you've got your face between your knees, right? You've never done a forward fold in your life because it's a false sense of stretching. It's very dangerous for your body because that heat, even though it feels really, really good, You're really not learning how to stretch and work the body in a way that is natural. It's an unnatural way of learning how to stretch. Now, let's get back to the tantras. What people don't realize or what they don't understand is that Hatha Yoga is born out of Tantric Yoga. Kundalini, the chakras... The Nadis, the major energy centers in the body, the dynamic interconnected web of uh, energy pulsations that go through the body, the pranayama, the breathing techniques, okay, the meditation techniques, all of the different cleansings that you do on the body, uh, whether it's using a neti pot or some other kind of digestive cleanse to clean the body, the austerities, the diet, everything for cleaning the body. All of this stuff, um, all of these physical practices come from uh, teachings in Tantra. But they're not the primary uh, Tantric teachings because originally Tantra Yoga is a form of deity yoga. It is a deity yoga. It is a meditation on and a working with a deity. And also... um, there is it's a very complex form of meditation that happens where you're sit and you're meditating on a particular deity, you're chanting particular mantras, and you're working on opening up your chakras by working on each individual chakra, which is presided over by a deity in which you're practicing a very specific Sanskrit mantra in a very disciplined and controlled way on a regular basis as you're working on the path to opening up your energy centers. Okay? Now let's break this down. Let's unpack it. Let's get really, really, really um, technical about yoga and what yoga does, okay? Yoga, and this is, so here's, here's the best part of this about yoga, okay? Yoga works whether or not you understand it or not. Do you understand? Yoga is a system of alchemy It's a system of transformation that is going to work whether or not you want it to work or not, whether you know how it works or not. So that means someone who knows absolutely nothing about Hinduism can start practicing yoga techniques not knowing anything about it and will start getting these really weird, bizarre psychic experiences. Why? Well, because yoga goes to work on your nervous system. It is all about the spine. It is all about the tree of life. It is all about the brain. It is about the activity in the brain. It is about neuroplasticity. It is about changing brain patterns, brain waves. It's it's working on the spine and the nervous system that starts to release all kinds of bullshit that your body has been hanging on to for a very long time and also psychically it starts to break down and work different areas of your brain that is holding on to attachments that you're trying to get rid of. But the problem is, if you start practicing yoga, but you're also not working on letting go of your attachments, you're going to come into a big problem. And this is the stuff that yogis have been saying, people who actually practice yoga from India have been saying for a very long time. Because one problem that Americans have is Americans want to practice yoga, but they don't want to follow the teachings of the swamis you know it's it's very important that you take seriously the teachings and the ethics and the morality of yoga you understand the teaching and the ethics of morality and the first thing you do in your life when you want to start practicing is you go ahead and clean up your life you you say okay I want to be a yogi. I don't want to be attached to all of this bullshit anymore. I don't want to be attached. I don't, I don't want to suffer anymore. I've I'm, I'm, I'm finally reached a point in my life and, and my soul's evolutionary process. I want moksha. I want liberation. I want to be released from all of this bullshit. Okay? I want suffering to end. And so, in order to do that, you have to make lifestyle changes. That means removing toxicity out of your life. Toxic people are going to have to go. I don't care if it's your mother. I don't care if it's your father. I don't care if it's your husband. I don't care if it's your kids. I don't I don't care who it is that you're dealing with that's toxic. At some point in time, you're going to have to detach from toxic relationships and you're going to have to choose to go on the path of meditation and yoga for yourself. That's why relationships crumble and fall apart when people start practicing yoga. Because yoga is going to work on a very deep level on the spine, on the nervous system, on the brain. It's 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 changing brain patterns. It's changing brain activity. Um, you're starting to create new connections in the brain that is more oriented towards seeing the world in a spiritual way and a non-physical way. And in order to accomplish that goal, there's lifestyle change that ha- that has to be made. Um, in order to to be able to make that thing successful. And if you're somebody who wants to keep drinking alcohol and someone who wants to keep smoking cigarettes and someone who is going to continue to you know, just eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, and not follow any of the precepts, you're going to have a really hard time accomplishing the kind of yoga that you have set out to practice. But that's the problem with Americans. Americans want their cake and eat it too. Matter of fact, they want everyone's cake. <laughs> they want everyone's cake. Americans want to own everybody's cake as my cake. That was your cake, but fuck you. I'm taking it. Now it's my cake. And, and, and this is how we live in this society. So the thing about Tantra is you'll see a lot of people offering workshops on Tantra and sex and sexuality, and I'm not going to lie. I have a website I'm working on right now, which is called, what is it called? called um tantra healing for men the reason why it's called tantra healing for men and the reason why i continue to use the word tantra is because when somebody is attracted to yoga and spirituality and they start becoming attracted to this idea of sensuality and sex and orgasm control and becoming healthier spiritually and sexually through practicing the tantras it's very good for me to use that word tantra to attract the kind of men to me that i want to work with and then educate them about what is tantra classically and what is tantra contemporarily and in a contemporary culture that we live People have taken the word tantra and they have appropriated it and they've basically said tantra and tantric, anything and everything is about sex and sexuality. It's about polarity, male and female. Then there's the tantric people that are like non-binary and all of this stuff, including sex and sexuality in their yoga practices. And I'm not going to say it's wrong. I refuse to say it's wrong because everybody is on their own journey. Everyone is on their own journey. Everyone is on their own spiritual path. And even though I might sit here and rail against people for what they might not have thought of when they stepped on the yogic path, I'm going to tell you I already made all those mistakes. I made every single one of those mistakes. I was thrown into teaching vinyasa yoga, trying to open up people's chakras without knowing anything about what I was practicing, not knowing anything about India not knowing anything about the culture or the way the deities are actually worshipped in temples, Um, not having a swami, not having someone to guide me on these practices, I did them anyway. And I read books, and I read books for 20 years before I woke up and said, you know what, I've been doing this shit wrong. (laughs) And when you wake up and you're like, you know what, I should have done this a different way, there was a better way for me to do this, then you say, okay, Well, now it's time to clean up my side of the street. It's time to like change directions. It's time to go back to the beginning and start over again. And that's what I want you to do. I want you, if you're a yogi or someone who's been practicing yoga, if you've made it this long throughout this entire discourse that I've given you today about yoga practice, I need you to, if you've become disenfranchised about yoga, I need you to stop. I need you to go back and I need you to start over from the beginning. You know why? Because it's never too late to go back to the beginning and start over. I went. I had a come to Shiva moment. I had a come to Shiva, a come to Ganesha moment. You know how people say I had a come to Jesus moment? I had a come to Shiva moment. What did I do? After having an image of a lingam, and after having um, a Ganesha statue, and after having all kinds of stuff related to gods and goddesses of Hinduism for a very long time, I had to recognize and realize that I have not been worshipping these people correctly. I have not been honoring these people correctly. I have not been performing um, any kind of ceremonial acts that that show that I had really a true interest in understanding how these deities are worshipped, And I had to sit down and apologize. I apologized to Shiva. And I apologized to Ganesha. And I said, I recognize now that the way that I've been trying to practice yoga is not right because I did it based on my own understanding and I did not do it based on the way it's been done for thousands of years. That's why there are priesthoods that are responsible for taking care of shrines that are made to deities, and yes, you might have a Ganesha statue or a dancing Shiva statue um an uh, uh, or some other kind of shrine in your home that's dedicated to Hinduism or dedicated to the deities. But what I would say to you is if you have not gone to temple or if you have not taken the opportunity to really learn about India and the people and the culture and reached out to people who are actually Indian and learning about the spirituality as it's practiced by these people because you'll be really surprised what you'll find out about Hinduism that you didn't know because they didn't teach it to you in your 200-hour or your 500-hour yoga teacher training program. You'll be surprised at what you'll find out when you actually uh, talk to or try to immerse yourself in a particular culture. So I'm recommending that you start over, you do a do-over, and you go buy books, okay? Study and read books. I tell people every single day, read books, study, learn. Go learn about the roots of Hinduism. Go learn about India, its history. Go learn about the political climate and environment. What are people dealing with over in India today? Like you can't practice yoga and not know anything about the struggle that's going on for people in India, Like how can you say that you practice yoga or anything close to Hinduism and you don't even know what's going on on that side of the world? You don't even understand what those people's struggle are, what their struggles are. You know, what is the struggle today in India for someone who was born in India? And what is it like for them over there? Like these are things that you need to know. And if you don't know those things, I'm going to encourage you today that you reach that you reach out and you move towards a greater understanding of the world and you stop focusing just on what's going on inside your little bubble, inside your yoga studio, and you actually try to have a more global and objective viewpoint about all of this stuff. Try to find somebody to talk to who's a priest. Try to talk to somebody um, who is immersed in these traditions so that you can get some guidance. Okay. Now, that being said, um, I, I I feel like today we had a conversation that was that was pretty decent, that was pretty good. You know, we talked about old religions, we talked about what animism was, we talked about shamanism, what shamanism is. Okay, and the more you practice yoga, the more shamanic abilities that you're going to achieve because the the the, the brain, the mind, the neuroplasticity, all of the energy centers, all of those things are going to start to open, and they're going to open naturally. One of the beautiful things that a Swami said. Was that, um, you know, the chakras don't open like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's not like you unlock the root chakra and then you start to un- uh, unlock the Svadhisthana chakra and then you start to unlock the Manipura chakra. It doesn't work that way. Everybody's chakras are open and closed at varying degrees. Some people might have a more open Vashuta chakra, some people might have a very open Muladhara chakra. Hey! That would be me. i got a really, really, really open mudra chakra. Yeah. The energy really flows from that region. Um, and so, you know, everyone is on their own stage of spiritual evolution. But my recommendation for you is don't be satisfied with anything. Okay? Test what someone says to be true read the bhagavad gita again what does krishna say about what it means to meditate what does krishna say at the beginning of the bhagavad gita how does krishna tell you to meditate read those words think about it meditate on it and then try to do that you know and um try to let go of this this exotic thing you know there's a lot of people that are practicing yoga that want to make it very exotic and i think a lot of people are attracted to Hinduism or our yoga because it seems like there's an exotic nature to it. It's so exotic. You need to get past that fetishizing of other people's traditional cultures. (laughs) And you need to appreciate other people's cultures and be very careful not to appropriate things that are not yours unless you have been given the license to... Embrace those things, and you're working with people who actually practice these things. Well, everybody, I've ran my mouth. I've said enough. I've said everything I wanted to say in this particular podcast when it comes to yoga. I think you got the point of what I was trying to say about how to deepen your practice, how to make your practice better, and how to get over this hump that you might be in. The next time I come around to podcast, I never know what I'm going to podcast about because it's just based on my mood, but in a future podcast, I promise you that we're going to talk about ancestor veneration, ancestor worship, and I'll probably do that within the context of talking about my spiritual journey and how I came to um, honor and worship my ancestral spirits and how I came to the conclusions that I came to. But for now, I want you to just keep doing what you're doing. Keep your chin up. Don't be discouraged. Know that every single day is another day. It's another day. It's a new day. It's a brand new day. It's a new opportunity to learn something new, and it's a new opportunity to get out of your headspace where you're trapped, where you're limited, where your blind side is, and learn something new. And don't accept what anybody hands you. Test it to be true. Get rid of the exotic. Go back to the basics. The first entity deity that you should be petitioning when you come to this tradition is Ganesh. Ganesha is always honored first. It's Ganesha. So if you want to take a step back and you want to sit down with your mala and you want to chant ganapataye uh, Namaha 108 times, Do that with the absolute most devotion in your heart to the entity with respect and acknowledgement that you are a guest. If you're white and you've decided that you want to practice yoga and you have gone about this whole yoga thing in the very commercial way that people in this country appropriate and turn everything into a commodity, go back and sit down on your yoga mat Close your eyes, breathe deeply, relax, and just sit. Just sit there and be happy and satisfied and content in your sitting, in your contemplation, in your mindfulness. Honoring yourself and honoring uh, the supreme divine. And if you're going to chant, chant um, your mantra with devotion. And then ask for that entity that spirit if you want to talk to ganesh talk to that entity then ask ganesha open up my path open up my doors remove the obstacles that are in my way towards moksha towards liberation and then listen because this dialogue goes two ways i pray i petition deity and then i take a step back and then i wait I tell deity what it is that I I want, what I need, and then I take a step back and I find out whether or not, after I throw that ball into that court, I wait to see whether or not anybody throws it back. And if you start going about your practices this way, I'm pretty sure that you're going to feel more content, you're going to feel happier, you're going to feel grounded, and you're no longer going to feel fake. You're no longer going to feel uncomfortable. You're no longer going to have this nagging feeling in the back of your head. Well, I don't really know if I'm doing this right. I don't really know if I should be doing this. Like, is this really for me? Then we can dispel all of those doubts and fears in the back of your mind. And you can actually actually study and learn from people that can teach you how to practice this stuff correctly. So you might want to get on Google and Google Hindu temple near me. And you might find that there is a local shrine or a temple or a Hindu temple somewhere in the geographical region or close to you that you could drive to even if it's two or three hours away. Make the trip to go to temple and so that you can actually see and be around the people that practice these things so that you can honor this yoga practice that you said you were devoted to from the jump. From the first day that you entered into that yoga teacher training program and sat down and heard the words Yoga Sutra for the first time and heard the words Bhagavad Gita for the first time. From the very first beginning that you fell in love with this tradition, honor the tradition by honoring the spirits of the tradition and the ancestors of that tradition and the deities of that tradition and learn how to petition and, and, and request uh uh things from those deities properly instead of relying on this bullshit that you might find in books all right so if you didn't like what i had to say i don't give a fuck if you didn't like what i had to say it's my opinion my opinion doesn't matter and guess what your opinion about all this shit ultimately doesn't matter either. And if you're mad about something I said, you can be mad about it, you can stay mad about it, and you can die mad about it. Y'all have a great day now.